Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. All right, I'm going to invite you to get your Bibles out. Uh, We're going to be doing our Bible reading right now. Uh, If you don't have a Bible on you, uh, the screen is an option, or there's also baskets at the end of the aisles. And if you want to grab a Bible out of there, you can read that today. If you don't have one at home, you are welcome to take that Bible. It is our gift to you. We think it's important that everyone should have a Bible so that they can access the Word of God. We're reading today from the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're continuing our series uh, through Thessalonians, and we're looking at chapter 5, and starting from verse 12 through to 28. So let's read together. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, Brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Welcome, Rowan. All good? So a few weeks ago... Luke was talking about personal trainers. There was something else to his message, I'm sure. But as you can tell, probably, I've had extensive experience with personal trainers. In fact, quite a few of them used to go to my favourite cafe. Got to know a couple, knew their name. My brother was a personal trainer. Probably why I bit against it. But in all honesty... I have done a bit of training in the past, and one particular personal trainer I worked with was a guy called Dwayne. I'm going to step on this in a minute. I uh, joined a gym near home and thought, to get myself started, I'll buy the three training sessions they offer at a discounted rate, and I'll, you know, hook in. Anyway, Dwayne was new to the gym as well, so he was trying to get himself established, build up his client base, And he saw an opportunity with me. He's like, oh, you can be my poster boy. You know, all your results will be my results. I thought, okay. What you need to understand is I'm a full-time student. 
can't afford it. So Dwayne offered to train me for free. He made a commitment that he would do that. He said, I won't charge you. Come and train with me, and payment can be that it'll help me establish myself. I'm like, all right, sure, that's up to you. If that's what you want to do, let's do it. So it was going well. Got some really good results. His favourite thing was to pull people into the weights room when I was on the leg press, because I could leg press well over 200 kilos. Have you ever been to the gym in the weights room? There's all these guys walking around like this, and their legs look like Christine's. So I walk into the weights room and I'm like, with 50 kilos. Help! I can't, can't do that. Bench press, whatever it is. Yeah. My arms don't do much. Legs, on the other hand, strong as an ox because my life is a leg press. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Getting out of bed every morning, yep, that's one set. <sighs> so that was nothing to do with Dwayne. That was all me. But he would drag other trainers in and go, check this out. All these other guys are like, oh, what are you doing here? And then they see how much weight's going on, they're just standing around laughing. <laughs> and then I start and they're like, what? Not the way it should go. I get that. Anyway, over time, things started to change. At first, I got a call from Dwayne to reschedule so that he could fit in another client. A few weeks later, he cancelled on me to fit in another client. He'd been the one calling me and making this happen. I wasn't paying, so I wasn't pushing the issue. I got that this was probably not going to go forever. And what happened was, people came along who offered to pay him for his services. I get that. That's his job. We all need to be paid. We all need to live. Unfortunately, we're in a world where that's necessary. But eventually, I just stopped hearing from him altogether. He felt no responsibility to me at all. We're in a church. As part of God's family, it's the opposite. We are responsible to each other. That's what God calls us to. So let's have a look at how this responsibility works. Oh, I've just skipped a page somewhere. Here we go. In this passage, Paul's pointing out to the church in Thessalonica just what those responsibilities are. Unlike a personal trainer who only feels responsible to clients who pay them, we're responsible to each other because we got out of bed and came here this morning. We're responsible to those who are part of our community who didn't make it this morning. We're a part of God's family. So let's break these responsibilities down. The first part of this passage, verses 12 to 22, is broken down by Michael Holmes in his commentary, the NIV application commentary, if anyone's interested. I find it really helpful the way he breaks it down. The pancake shaker's gone. First, verses 12 and 13 are the congregational responsibilities towards leaders. Verses 14 and 15, congregational responsibilities towards individuals. Verses 16 to 18, responsibilities towards God. And 19 to 22, our responsibilities towards the Spirit. I find this really helpful because it clearly directs us in which way we need to be responsible, which direction that's going. If it's outward here, if it's upward, it, I just find it really helpful. And it reaffirms that these are things that we're all responsible for. 
not just some of us. So at the time that Paul was writing this letter to the Thessalonians, leadership was probably very much as it is today. There were people who were called to be leaders by God and there were people who were in leadership simply because they had money or they had the loudest voice. They had a bit of political nous. They knew how to get what they wanted and because others didn't know how to stop them, they became leaders. It was as simple as that. So in the church at Thessalonica, Paul had appointed leaders and that was fine. There was no argument about that. They were respected, they were acknowledged. But there was more to it than that. There was leaders who were raised up within the church. Just as there's leaders here that have been raised up within follow. So verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work and live in peace with each other. So here at Follow, we have a leadership team. We've got paid pastors, Luke and Dave, and I'm really excited to be joining that team next year. We've got elders, we've got deacons who are appointed by vote by the members of this church, elected representatives. But that's not where it ends. We've got a room full of people here and people who aren't here today with us who serve in ministry and every single one of us is a leader in this church. We're all leaders in this community. Doesn't matter if you're on the stage here week after week or if no one sees what you do. You are a leader in this church. There's countless people who demonstrate leadership with their hard work every week here at Follow. So we've got to remember that leadership isn't about publicity. It's not about how much people see what you do. We're not always good at acknowledging everyone in leadership. I'm guessing if I asked people to put up their hand and people were honest, quite a lot of you would say, yeah, I feel like my work isn't always acknowledged. So, we need to get better at that. How many people here who don't have kids know what goes on out at Follow Kids? The work that goes in during the week to get that prepared. How many people have thought about the fact that this morning, before we were out of bed, there was a team of people here setting up? I've got to admit, I don't always think about these things. I see it some weeks when I'm here for music. And I'm really grateful that I turn up for music. And by the time I get here, this is what it looks like. We've got a dedicated team that do that week in, week out. And without them, we wouldn't be in here like this today. So it's important that we recognise everyone who is in leadership in our community, and I encourage you to do so. Take the time to acknowledge people around you. At the Hub, every week, we have volunteer appreciation cards. It's a great way, if you don't know who it is that's doing something in particular that you appreciate, you can just write it on a card, stick it in the letterbox, and it will get to the right person. 
be great to see that happening more. Now, the bit that I find intriguing about this is Paul's exhortation at the end, to live in peace with each other. This isn't peace that comes from lack of conflict. That's not true peace. He's talking about something far deeper than that. It's a deliberate positivity to actually work to a positive relationship and maintain a relationship. As a family, that's what we're called to. Now, I've got to be honest. I look out today and I don't know roughly half of you. I'm Rowan. How are you going? (laughs) I'd like to get to know you, but it's really hard in a church of roughly 300 people. It's always interesting, I apologise if this has happened to you, because I'm up here a lot, a lot of people know who I am, occasionally someone says, hi Rowan, and I'm like, hi! Really sorry if I've done that to you, I'm also terrible with names, ask any kid I've taught at school. So we need to be working towards that day in, day out, actual relationship with each other. It's not easy, it takes effort. Are you willing to put in the work to maintain a healthy relationship with everyone here? Because now we're getting to the second part of this. This is where those relationships matter. Verses 14 and 15 speak to how we do this as a community. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, Help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Matt Chandler from the Village Church puts it like this. What is it that stirs your affection for Jesus Christ? Fill your life with things that stir your affection for Jesus Christ and abstain from those things that rob your affections. That's Christian living. And these instructions from Paul are at a basic level of that Christian living. These verses are heart of pastoral care. And just because we call it pastoral care doesn't mean it's only the job of the pastors. It's all of us. If you see one of your brothers or sisters in this family, idle or disruptive... An idol doesn't mean I-D-O-L on a pedestal. It's I-D-L-E, not doing anything. They haven't fallen into sin yet because they haven't got off the couch. We're called to serve as Christians, not to just be served by the waiters. We love our hospitality team here. They do a great job every week. My favourite is the coffee stall. Somehow, some weeks, that coffee just appears. It's great. Thanks, Rob. You've led a team brilliantly there. I don't even have to go to that side of the room some weeks. It's awesome. So if you see someone that's falling, sorry, that is idle or disruptive, warn them. Warn them about the error of their ways. We're called to be generous with our time, with our gifts. That's one of our core values here at Follow. We want to be known for our generosity as a church. And that includes giving of our time, our passions, our finance, our resources and more. Time's the key here though. 
Are we all being generous in giving our time to God's work in this community? When I was a child, I was told repeatedly, idle hands are the devil's playthings. As Luke said earlier, the devil's trying to get in. Two and a half years in, we're thriving. This church is thriving and it's not by our own work. It's God's work that's making this happen. The only thing that we're doing is going, right, God, what next? We've got faithful leaders in this church looking for opportunities, knocking on every door they walk past to see if we can open it and do something for God, rather than, ah, oh, we've got enough on, we better not, we'll just leave that door closed for now. The devil's looking for any opportunity to get in. Don't hold the door open for him. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Whatever the circumstances, we're called to support each other. So one of the things that I'm tasked with for next year, and I'm not going to talk about it for too long, I promise, you'll hear more from me next year, is to get our pastoral care processes up and running even better than they already are. And I think most of you would agree that we're doing a reasonable job at this. I'll be working with Luke, with our MCG leaders, to get this happening. And it's incredible to see people doing life together in MCGs. Christine and I are blessed to be a part of a great MCG with roughly 40 people on the list. Is that right, Paul? Jen? 32. Okay, overshot a little bit. Yep, we're... (laughs) We're taking invitations. Feel free to join us, Monday nights. But the great thing is to see people who wouldn't normally journey together being in relationship with each other in a genuine way. Like Hayden and Mary, I would have walked past them on the street years ago and not turned around again. They're Presbyterians. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, couldn't help myself, he's sitting in the front row. Um, I just helps you get into a relationship with people you wouldn't normally go out of your way to find. And when times get tough, those are the people that we should be turning to for support. Those are the people that should be offering that support knowing times are tough before you even need to say it. That's the dream we have here at Follow. Our MCGs need to be the core aspect of our pastoral care. This is on all of us. Now, there are reasons why people can't always be a part of an MCG. We're not going to forget about everyone else. I promise you that. But as a community, we do need to take this seriously. Verse 15 says that we need to make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Paul is crystal clear here. We can't take this lightly. If somebody, Christian or otherwise, does wrong by a Christian guess what? You've only got one option. Do good in return. Confuse your enemies. Pray for them. We're all going to fall short at times. I'd be lying if I said that sometimes my instinct isn't to punch people. Especially my brother. For Luke and Jared, that instinct pops up roughly 20 times in every St Kilda game. And more often than not, at the umpires. But the point is, that's the ideal for us to aspire to. We don't set the bar at an achievable level. Because then we don't bother getting to it. If we set the bar up here, 
at God's ideal, we'll actually strive for it. We won't make it every time, but we'll get a whole lot higher than if this is our aim. So if you see anyone in our family falling short, encourage them. When it says admonish them, it doesn't mean to drag them out in front of people and have a go at them. It means encourage them, remind them of what we're striving for and keep them on the right path. Let's do this together. Does everyone remember that golden oldie? We are family. I can call it old. It was 10 years before I was born. Luke remembers it well. So we're a family. My brothers and my sisters with me. Get up, everybody, and sing. This is cause for celebration. On Wednesday night, I was playing my second game of basketball in a very, very long time. You may have been wondering. (laughs) Now comes the explanation. We were getting beaten by quite a bit, again, but that's okay. We're having fun, aren't we, Dave? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the ball got passed through the key, and because I'm tall and a giant in other ways, I've been told to stand under the ring and do this. The ball came past me and I went, and it didn't go well for my thumb. So, being male, ah, it's right, it'll be right in a couple of days, got a nice pack, she'll be right. The next day, Christine says, yeah, we're going to the hospital. All right. So, evidence that miracles do still happen in the modern age, we were in and out of Dandenong Emergency in under two hours. (laughs) Right? Praise God. X-rays done, got it checked out. They said, it's not broken. Well, no, nah, it's not broken. We'll splint it, you'll be right, take some Panadol and Nurofen. And if it is broken, we'll splint it the same anyway, so it doesn't matter. But it's not broken, it's okay. So we go home. The next day I go to work. My phone rings in class, no caller ID, I'll be right. Christine's phone rings. She's not at work. She answers the phone. It's a doctor from Dandenong. A different doctor who supposedly knows more about what they're looking at has taken a good look at it. It's broken. Yep, thanks, God. In the midst of trials, we can rejoice knowing that God provides sermon illustrations. The second doctor knew what they were doing, but the point is that they looked past the initial inspection. It's not like working at a checkout. How are you going? Good, thanks. Get on with your day. No, it's looking past that first response. What's actually going on? This isn't superficial. The fact that we're all here means that we need to be in genuine relationship with each other, and that's going past the initial, past the first response, to find out what's actually going on. That's our responsibility to each other, and for no reason other than the fact that, in return, we're all going to do it for each other. We all face hardships at times. We're all going to be disheartened at times. 
Let's look out for each other. Verses 16 to 18. I promise that's the longer half of the sermon. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. May not sound like it, but this is our responsibility to God. I've heard so many Christians over the years say, oh, these are my favourite verses. I've got it on my wall at home. I've got it in the car. I've got it on my monitor at work. Reminds me to look to God. But when you actually study their life, I'm pretty sure what they're reading is, rejoice when God gives me the promotion I wanted. Pray when my auntie gets sick. And give thanks when I remember to before dinner. It leaves me wondering, have they actually thought about these words? Paul isn't telling us to be happy all the time. That's not what it means by rejoice always. That would completely contradict what he says in Romans 12, 15, when he says, mourn with those who mourn. We can't be happy all the time. It's not a tap we can just turn on and off. It goes deeper than that. Paul's referring to something much more stable, a joy which enables us to cope with disappointments and to see them in their true perspective. That true perspective is, as Michael Holmes puts it, rooted in the conviction that in any and all circumstances, God is at work on behalf of his people and that's reason enough to give thanks. That's reason enough, thereby, for us to fulfil God's will for us. Do we truly believe that God's salvation is of more value than the cost of persecution that comes as a result of accepting the gospel? Well, then let's demonstrate that conviction by rejoicing in the midst of it. Are we really persuaded that God will indeed deliver his people and bring justice on their behalf? Then let us pray with persistence and patience waiting and watching expectantly for God to act? And are we genuinely convinced that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him? That's Romans 8.28. Then let us demonstrate that conviction by giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, do you remember the bit a few moments ago when I said we all fall short? Confession time sitting in the emergency department at Dandenong, I wasn't inspired to thank God for a potentially broken thumb. Now, I'm grateful. It was a good sermon illustration. It worked. <laughs> and I didn't have to rely on Larissa from last night. Is she here today? Ah, Larissa was over for dinner tonight, last night with Jared. She was petrified that everything she said was going to come up today. <laughs> so finally, we come to verses 19 to 22. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. We've got to work together in this. We need to give the spirit room to move in this church. We need to not get too caught up in the details. When we plan everything perfectly, we plan the spirit out. We've got to give room for the spirit to move here. One of the ways that the Spirit can move is through prophecy. But if someone prophesies, 
We can't just take it at face value and go, all right, well, cool, done. Okay, he said, God said it. We have to test that prophecy. This is Paul's instruction. So, how do we test prophecy? There's a few ways. But the most important thing is, does the prophecy agree with Scripture? If not, well, then we can forget about it. See, God doesn't contradict himself. The Scripture is God's revelation of himself for us. So if prophecy contradicts the Bible, it's out. Plain and simple. Days are gone when the original prophets, the likes of Abraham, Moses, Aaron, you know, the guys who are at the front of this book, they didn't have a Bible. And the people they were preaching to didn't have a Bible. So no one could check what they were saying. They kind of had to take it at face value. Now, admittedly, you know, Aaron went up on a mountain in a cloud, big stormy cloud, right? There was obvious signs that God was there. But when those prophets spoke and said, God said, do this, they jumped, they went, they did what they were told. We've got the luxury of having the Bible. It comes in many different flavours. You can even go to a shop like Kurong and choose your toppings. I like this one. Admittedly, I was looking at the the message in the King James Version on my bookshelf last night, which made me think of flavours because... They're like the, the sweets you have after dessert. <laughs> Don't completely fill you up, but enjoyable to have a look at sometimes if you want to read about unicorns. If you're not sure, ask Virginia Purton. So we can check these things out. And our first step always has to be the scripture. It's pretty simple. The Bible gives us the steps that we need to test prophecy. 2 Timothy 3.16, it must agree with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.4, it must build up the body. John 16.13 and 14, it must exalt Jesus. Deuteronomy 13.1-5, it must lead to God and obedience to Him. Romans 8.15, it must produce liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.6, it must produce life. 1 John 2.27, it must be attested to the Holy Spirit in each believer. And Deuteronomy 18.22, it must come true. But once that's happened, I guess we can tick it off. But if we've got all of those things tested out, except for that last one, and we're still not sure, there's other steps we can take. An obvious one is pray. God answers prayer. Ask other Christians who you trust to test it out for you. Share with people around you, and they can pray about it as well. Now, I know that a few people have wondered a bit more about my calling to ministry. So let me quickly cover that because it does actually relate. You see, as far as I'm concerned, a calling from God is prophecy. Because if I stand here today and say I'm called to ministry, who's able to disagree with me? Unless God's specifically spoken into your heart to tell you that I'm a heretic, hopefully not. I can't disagree. But it does beg the question of how have you tested this call? So a little over a year ago, I was feeling really uncomfortable as a teacher. Uncomfortable being at Cairo, 
uncomfortable with being a teacher full stop, but not sure why. God called me into teaching, and I tested that out thoroughly as well. I felt God calling me out of teaching. So I started exploring options. The first time I felt God called me to ministry was when I was 16. But for 14 years, I felt a very firm voice saying, not yet. So, I revisit it every now and then. But it's always been constant. Yes, that's my plan for you, but not yet. This time was a bit different. Things started to unfold in positive ways that they'd never done before. And I came up with a plan to go part-time at school, to start studying a Master's of Ministry and to do some work here at church. Knowing my wife is very much a plan-driven person, I needed to have a solid plan to take to her. Otherwise, she freaks out. So I planned it, wrote it down on paper, PowerPoint presentations are good, (laughs) dot points, diagrams, all that jazz, make sure it's a nice theme and design. I prayed to God about it. And as we all know, challenging God goes really well. But in this instance, it worked. I said, God, I need subtlety gone. I need this one to smack me in the face, undeniably. Is this your plan for me? Go. Really not sure what happens next. Within 24 hours, Christine says to me, out of nowhere, I hadn't spoken to her about this at all yet. She says, I think maybe you should go part-time at work. Start studying at Ridley and do some volunteering at church. That's that's interesting, yeah. (laughs) Where'd you come up with that one? It's like, oh, no idea. Just thought popped into my head. So I'm going, all right, God, done. Cool. Next day, I went to school and told my principal, I want to go part-time next year. All right, done. That was easy. Came home and said to Christine, it's all sorted. She's like, oh, I thought we were going to talk about that. I'm like, we did. (laughs) God spoke, I listened, jump, go. But from there, doors were opening. Conversations started happening. Within 48 hours, I had three people ask me earlier this year, if a position comes up at follow, will you apply for it? And I went, no. And they went, why? And I went, I don't know. I haven't got a good reason. So I started actually taking it seriously. I started praying about it. I started thinking about it. And throughout this whole year, doors have opened as I've walked past. Not even touching them, not knocking, not pushing. They're just swinging open. I've felt God's call all year that this is where he wants me. So one final test came when I knew the elders were meeting to discuss whether or not I was a suitable candidate. I had no idea what the elders thought. I'd spoken with Luke, I'd spoken with Dave, but there's six other elders in this church who don't know me well. And I was certain that they would have concerns about me. And if they don't, they probably should. (laughs) I'm not perfect. So, I prayed that night. I was at our MCG, no idea what we talked about, because I was too busy praying. And my prayer was simple. God, if this is your plan that you want me to pursue, 
the elders will be unanimous. Anything short of unanimous and I walk away. It was that simple and I was prepared to follow through. So the next morning I caught up with Luke and he shared with me some concerns that the elders had. Check one, happy with that. I'm glad that we have elders who are faithful in their service to this church, who are actually questioning and searching for God's call. But even though they had concerns, they were unanimous that I was suitable to be considered. That wasn't the decision, yes, Rowan's in. It was just the decision that they thought, yes, it's worth considering Rowan. So that's my call to ministry. That's how I've ended up here today. As being appointed, and in January I'll begin here as a pastor. And I am genuinely excited about that. Not just because I don't have to write reports anymore. (laughs) I'm sure Luke's going to find paperwork for me to do. But the Lord is faithful. And the Lord will answer if we're faithful in testing prophecy. Matt Chandler illustrates that one of the roles of prophetic words is to move us toward all that God has for us in Jesus Christ. If you and I are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, if you and I, according to Romans 8, are being made more and more and more like Jesus, then one of the roles is to build us up more into the image of Jesus Christ. So when you hear a prophetic word or receive one from God, put it to the test. I actually read on a a website, kingdom building website from New Zealand, that most prophets who are really good would be happy if they got 90% of their prophecies right. Now, I love our Kiwi brothers, but 90%? I don't consider myself a prophet by any means, but if I get 5%, I'll be stoked. So in closing his letter, Paul reminds the Thessalonians and us that we're saved not by our own actions, but by God's grace. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The Lord is faithful. We know that he will do what he has promised because he has done what he has promised. Pick this up open to any page, any book of the Bible, there is evidence of that. God is faithful. There's no if about that. The if comes with us. Are we faithful? As we've heard over the last few weeks, the church in Thessalonica was a young church that was healthy. That had their issues, but overall, healthy, much like follow. These urgings from Paul were not necessarily about correcting wrong behaviours in the church, but building healthy habits. Part of the introduction of this book in the NIV says, Paul praised the Thessalonians for their faith, giving his readers instructions on how to live in a way that pleases God. So let us all take Paul's teachings in this passage, and indeed this entire letter, and apply them to our lives. We have responsibilities as a church family toward leaders, 
And all of us are leaders in our own way. Some of us might just need to think a bit harder about who we are leading. Toward individuals, being every one of us. Toward God and toward the Spirit. These responsibilities all go together to build a healthy church. And if we all play our part in, use, in taking these responsibilities seriously, the devil can knock on the door all he wants. He's not getting in. But he will find the weakest link in the chain. And he will exploit that. These responsibilities haven't been decided by some committee here at Follow, whose sole goal is to edify themselves and bring, them, bring themselves glory. This is God's will for us, to live lives that will mean we are kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. The imperative is on us to abide by God's will for us. And we all know that there are times when we'll stumble, but God is faithful. He will do what he says he will do. And we know that because he has done what he said he would do. So as Paul finished his letter, let me finish by paraphrasing. Brothers and sisters, pray for all of us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. If you're unsure, double check what it is before you kiss everyone. I charge you before the Lord to have this book read to all brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and your glory knows no bounds. I pray that your word will sink into the hearts of every one of us today. That we will take our responsibilities seriously and that we will glorify you by living out your will in our lives. Father, we thank you for the people who serve tirelessly in this church week in, week out. The people who do it behind the scenes when no one's watching, not for their own glory, but just to bring glory to you. May we acknowledge everyone who gives service to you. And may we not leave any opening for the devil to get into this place, Lord. As Luke said earlier, let us stand up. Let us put on the armour from head to toe. You are our protection, Lord, as we strive to seek your glory in this community. Heavenly Father, be with us today and this week. Clothe us with humility and compassion and arm us for the fight that's coming. Heavenly Father, you are good beyond all measure that we can fathom. Go with us this week, Lord. Amen.